Father, in this moment before you this morning, God, we want to come to you as the good shepherd and just confess that you are faithful. God, we are weak and we are beset with weakness, Father, and we will fail. And yet you say, when we are faithless, you are faithful. And so, God, we celebrate that you will never fail. Christ will never fail. You will always be the good shepherd. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and you will be true to your promises. So, God, thank you for leading us. Thank you for leading us into salvation and your love and the experience of who you are as a good father. And so, Lord, we thank you for this morning and pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Maybe see it. Well, good morning. Um, and I just want to say a few things this morning. I am humbled um, and excited that you would trust me to lead this church with you. Thank you. It's been a humbling experience to go through this last couple of weeks and months, and um, I'm just overwhelmed by your support of me and that you would want me to continue to lead this place. And so I'm excited to do that before God, and uh, I hope I can do it in His strength, because I'm just a man, and I will fail at times, um, but I will do it as graciously as I can, and I pray that you would extend me grace as well. And so I'll, I'll say more about that next week. Um, but today, we want to do a little preaching here, and then we're going to do some baptisms. And I have up here with me Dr. Mike Kirby, one of our other elders, and now, Mike, we're in trouble because there's two doctors up here on the stage. And really, we can't help you of any medical emergencies. Talk to Brian if you have one of those. We might, Mike can help you fix your computer, or I can help you with a Bible study. Um, but you get two doctors today. So here we go, Mike. Um, I want to let you guys know of a few things that are coming up in the life of our church. Um, February 9th and 10th, this Friday and Saturday, we have a junior high edge retreat coming up on how to be a godly man and woman. So make sure... Uh, youth, make sure you sign up for that and be a part of that, and parents, help them uh, get there. You can sign up on your church center app. And then <clears throat> we have restarted our prayer meeting, and we meet every Wednesday night here at 715 to 830. We have a great group of 10 or 15 of us that have really been diving into praying with the Lord, and uh, I would encourage you to be a part of that. Mike helps us out with that as well as Tono and Phil Hers, and it's been a good, good time. And then last week, we'll let you know that Paul Page... Uh, Karen Brown's brother had passed away, and um, so we're, we're looking to plan a funeral for him on February 24th at 2 p.m. I'll keep you updated on the details, but you can put that on your calendar. And then we have yeah. a conference coming up, Mike. We do. So we'd like to remind you of the Orphan Care Conference. I think, you know, if you look at Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, it starts in chapter 1. In 17, it actually mentions things that I think are common to us, which would be doing good and justice. But it also mentions widows and the orphans, and I think our, our church very much uh, takes that to heart. And so I encourage you, uh, for those of you who are considering uh, possibly serving God in that way, um, to consider the Orphan Care Conference. Um, they will be signed up in the church app, or you can see Kelsey Fine Arts. Yeah, what did you decide to do after the last Orphan Care Conference? We have been foster parents, and so yeah. that, was, uh, that was a conference. We've been praying before that, but that was, uh, I would say, instrumental for Allison and myself. Uh, in terms of praying about and considering what God was doing in our family. Yeah, so we have a pretty high rate of return on that conference. So know if God's moving you to come to that, 
you're probably going to end up adopting or fostering, and that's a really, really that's, good thing. Yeah. That's not to discourage you. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's sure. right. Yeah. All right. Well, this morning, we're diving back into the book of Hebrews, and we're going to um, talk about an interesting topic. You know, this, it's funny that this topic came up on this Sunday. We did not plan this. We planned the, the preaching long before this. But we're going to talk about honorable leadership and honoring leadership in Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 through 19. And as you guys know, we've been talking about Hebrews. It, it explains the gospel in its totality, what Jesus has done, how he is greater than all things, and that in light of who he is as our Savior, having laid down his life for us, becoming our high priest, we should give our life to him, right, and follow him. And then chapter 13 has now been talking about um, ways that we can live a life of worship in response to the gospel. We've had some interesting topics. So I think one thing you'll see, and this is, this is one thing that's common, for instance, in Paul's letters. We saw this when we studied Romans several years ago, which was there would be the theological, then the practical. Ephesians is split very similarly, which is that there's the theological and the practical. I think in Hebrews we see something like that, and that is we've, we've come into chapter 13 with lots of practical applications, and they kind of point us back to a common sermon we all know, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which was structured similarly in that it points back to Exodus 20. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see when we go through five, after the kind of the blessed part, then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount hits kind of key things in our lives. We see him talking about anger, about marriage, etc. In the same way, in Hebrews 13, we saw that a few weeks ago, we talked about Jared had a <coughs> lesson on sex. Um, and how that fits into uh, the God perspective. Last week, we had Tono talking about money um, and how we can honor God there. And so now we see similarly the structure we're going to talk about leadership. Yeah, so let's look at verse 7 here. We'll look at verse 7 and then 17 and 19 uh, where he talks about leadership here. Here's what it says, and listen to the imperatives that he gives us here. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things, and I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, it's easy, I think, in our culture to kind of have a kind of a cavalier attitude towards leadership. Um, you know, we, we've seen leaders on big platforms that are not honorable and use their power, squander their power and the things that God has entrusted with them. And so we're, we're skeptical of leadership, right? We're skeptical of, of who leads churches and, and who is in authority over us, and, and this is really a hard topic, I think, for us as Christians. Not that money and sex weren't; those are hard topics for us too. But this is another one that is hard. That's actually why I asked Mike to join me as one of the elders. So it's not just me up here on stage talking about this. Um, but I want to start with this question: Why has God asked us to follow church leadership? Why is He asking us to do this? And I think the answer is, in general. The idea of following the authorities God has put in our life is central to Christian worship. It's central to Christian virtue. And I want you to see this, that really 
The starting point of the Christian life is that we would submit ourselves to Jesus as Lord. Okay, this, this is what Christianity is all about. It's taking rebels and saying, okay, now I'm going to live under the lordship of Christ. And so, in turn, when we make Jesus Lord, he's now asking us to follow the authority structures he has given to the church. And so, as we begin to look at this, God is asking us first and foremost to follow Jesus, but then as we follow Jesus, he asks us to follow others. And when we do this, God will sanctify us and begin to turn us into one of his Christ followers. Now, if you think about it, this sounds countercultural. Like, meaning, if you, if you listen to the verses in Hebrews, it, it, it sounds different than what we hear in the world. So if you follow Machiavelli, you would say that there's going to be power through manipulation. If you follow Marx, there's power through economics. If you follow Nietzsche, there's power um, that comes um, due to might. Um, think about it. In Hebrews, there is power due to submission. So it's, it's countercultural in that the power that a pastor and elders have is actually the power that comes from the submission given to them. Um, it is authority that is granted by God, but the power is different than all those other things. And I think we're going to look at Colossians um, as a supporting verse of this. Um, if we think about it, and, and I was reading this this morning, Colossians, especially in Colossians 3, which we're going to look at just quickly, we often go to the Bible, uh, I would say the coffee cup verse. Um, for those of you who are parents, you've used the coffee cup verse, uh, which is do everything unto the Lord. Right? I think all parents have used that one at some point. But I think it's important to appreciate that that, that verse in Colossians 3.17 is built upon Colossians 1. And in Colossians 1, what we have is Paul reminding us, um, reading 1 and 2, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on these things that are above, not on things of the earth. So our submission here, and I think Colossians helps us see it, our submission is the fact that we are looking towards Christ, and in doing so, we are obeying the, the structures, pastors and elders and others in authority that he has placed over us. Yep. And so as we begin to look at this, what we see in Hebrews, the verses we just read, that there's really, there's really two sets of instruction. One speaks to the way we as elder pastors are to lead the church. Okay? And then there's other instructions on for us in the, as in the congregation on the ways we are to follow. And it's kind of neat uh, from, the, from the perspective of, the, of things we hear now in kind of the leadership world. So you've probably heard the, world, the words transparency and accountability. In Hebrews, what we have in 13 is we, we have the fact that the author of Hebrews is giving to leaders something. That is, there are imperatives that we as leaders need to take on. But it's also giving to the congregation um, those uh, similar imperatives. And so what you see is there's nothing hidden here, meaning there's the things that we as leaders are supposed to be doing and to which we're accountable to you, and you know them. And then there's the things that you're accountable for that we can hold you. Yeah, so let's look at here now the instructions to church leadership, what honorable leadership that worships God, what this looks like. If you remember back in verse 7, it said this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And so I think the first imperative given here to, uh, it's implied in this text, that the job of pastors is to teach the word of God to his people. Now at first you might go, well, that's an easy thing. Um, but actually, to teach the Word of God to His people 
requires an act of submission on our part as, as pastors to what God has said. So let me give you an example. In, in seminary, I had some friends. Um, we were going to Golden Gate Seminary that was still in San Francisco at the time. They decided to try one of the random churches around the city, and they went to uh, a church there, and they said, we heard a wonderful sermon on the Lorax, right? The movie by Dr. Seuss about saving the truffle trees in, in Thneedville. It's such a hard word to say. Only Dr. Seuss would give you cities named Thneedville. Um, but they heard a sermon on the Lorax. It was a great sermon on the Lorax. Heard no words from God, right? And so we as pastors have to do the hard work of submitting our own thoughts and our, the things we want to say and rather speak God's word. In fact, you know, like even this lesson this morning, I don't like to talk about my own leadership, right? Especially on the Sunday you just got nominated and approved to be the senior pastor. Hence why I'm up here. That's why, that's why, <laughs> yeah, that's why Mike is up here. Um, but God calls us to submit and not speak our words, but to speak his words. In fact, 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever speaks the word of God should speak it as the very oracles of God itself. In Titus 2.1, it says, to pastors, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Right? In Matthew 13.52, it says, as you speak uh, and teach about the kingdom of God, bring out of the Bible things old and new. That means say what God has always said and then apply it in new ways to the culture that we're dealing with. And so really this has been a core value of Risen Life to teach verse by verse through the Bible because it forces us to say what God wants to say and not what we want to say. So I think the, the second point that we want to bring on, uh, and you see this again as an imperative, is to have a faith worth imitating. We see this in verse 7. So remember your leaders, those who... <clears throat> those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their ways of life and imitate their faith. And so we, we, in this, we see not only the imperative to us, which is to imitate, um, but for leaders to appreciate that we are to have a life worth imitating. So, you know, thinking about this in terms of an application, um, uh, as a young parent, um, I think it was approximately 2016, so by then I had two children, um, there was a country song, I I've got a country song into this, um, and I am not in any way saying all country songs are sanctified. I'm just commenting they are three chords in the truth. Despite, um, despite your computer science doctor I, self, I, you're a redneck deep I, down. Just let it out, Mike. <laughs> let it out. Just a little bit. Yeah. So there was a song that came out in 2006, and it was called Watching You. So I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm definitely not going to sing it. I'm going <laughs> to just point out a few highlights. I think if you listen to the first verse... Um, it comments about uh, father. He's, he's riding along with his child. He hits a speed bump and flies in. The, the, the fries go flying, and the kid says something, and he is a little shocked at what word came out of his son's mouth. Um, and his comment, at the, you know, going into the chorus was, I've been watching you, Dad. Isn't that cool? And I think it just at that level, first verse and chorus, you could be convicted. So yes, you could be convicted by country music. Yeah. But I think, I think an even more impressive thing you know, relative to this lesson is the, is the second one, um, the second verse. And that one I will read. I'll read it more like a poem. Like I said, I'm not going to sing it. He said, we got back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. 
said, Lord, please help, help me help my stupid self. <laughs> then this side, listen, this side of the bedroom later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees. He closed his eyes, folded his hands, he spoke, like, he spoke to God like he was speaking to a friend. And, he, and I said to him, son, where'd you learn to pray like that? And the chorus comes in, I've been watching you. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow up as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and, cam and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. So I think this, this country song, although country, I think it captures what this point is raising, which is that we as leaders are to have a life worth imitating um, in a way that, in the same way that we see Paul saying uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, that you should imitate me as I follow Christ. And even as we've just gone through this elder process to install Mike and Tono as new elders and me to evaluate me as senior pastor, when you look at those elder pastor criteria in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it's all about is this life worth imitating? Is this life lived to Jesus and is it worth following and worth imitating? And so that's what God is calling leaders to. And then here, the last thing I think that, that God is calling leaders to in these verses is it says that we, now this is a weighty one, that we will have to give an account to God of how we took care of you guys. Think about that for a second. Hebrews 13, 17. Leaders will have to give an account for how they led, right? And, and this has been a common theme throughout Hebrews that, that he keeps reminding us and warning us, look, for all of us, judgment's coming. God, you will have to give an account for how you lived this life to God, what he has asked you to do and what you did, and particularly for pastors and teachers. We were joking this week about that when we get to heaven, you know, everybody's going to be going through one line, and then there's a sideline where pastors go. And that's, that's not because they're getting to cut to the front of the line. That's actually they got to do a little work before they get back in the other line to talk with God about how they led. In fact, Paul says in Acts here, 20, 28, he, call, he tells us, he says, listen, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And, and James warns us in James 3.1, he says, look, not many of you should become teachers because you will be judged more strictly. In fact, just be in front of that, he says, you're not a perfect man. If you could speak perfectly, you'd be a perfect man, but you're going to mess up as a teacher. And as a leader, and, and God's going to hold you accountable. And so this is a weighty verse for us as pastors and teachers, and good for us as a congregation to hear. It's really that God's going to give us a performance review, right? And, and this should be comforting to all of us as a congregation. Whatever your pastor does, whatever the leaders of the churches you may be a part of in the future, even if they fail you and they hurt you, know that God will hold them accountable, right? And so we can then, we are free to serve Christ, to obey him and follow our leaders, knowing that he is the one also that's going to hold them accountable. And I think what we see, you know, bringing the, in that section to a close, is that this is characteristic of the author of Hebrews, which is that here it's a warning to leaders in the same way that he's provided warnings 
to us as believers. We've seen this in several places where he warns us. And I think the warning here is for leaders to be reminded they will give an account. And even a motivation to lead well. Yes. So I think we we have a transition now, which is you can see these verses from the leader's perspective. And those are the things to which you're holding us accountable. But I think there's also viewing it uh, from the congregation's perspective, and that is how can we have honor, how can we um, honor leaders? And so we're back to that point again. The first one would be looking at verse 7, which is that we can remember and imitate the leaders. So if we, again, reread verse 7 in Hebrews, sorry, um, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so, like our country song said, and, and as, we're, as we're taking on, um, 1 Corinthians, as we said, 1 Corinthians 11 is a great example, explicitly says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think another powerful one that we saw a couple weeks ago, there was a Friday session where we had a speaker come to talk about Philippians 2. Philippians 2, in Philippians 2, we have one of the oldest poems, kind of narrative poems that's given to us uh, concerning Christ. And in Philippians, uh, that section says, Have this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by, making, by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So this very fundamental poem uh, helps us see that Christ himself um, humbled himself, and that gives us a model. Right? Let this mind be in you. The mind to be in you is to take on the same viewpoint he did, which is one of humbling himself. Yeah, yeah and I think we can all remember those that have spoken God's word to us or leaders that, that, that you looked at their life and you said, I want to I be like them. In fact, I was, I was reminiscing with Mike this week about uh, I had a youth leader named Greg Hodge. He was kind of recently saved, a crazy guy from New York. He had his own rock band, and he'd started going to seminary, and God was calling him into ministry. And he just gathered a group of us young uh, high school kids and started teaching us how to study the Bible, right? Like how to do it inductively. And I can just remember that was the first time God really excited me through him that I want to learn and I want to learn the Bible. Because every week, Greg would come and be like, check this out, and look at this in the Word, and look how this points us to that. And we would just, as high school students, we were amazed, right? And said, I want to be like Greg. I want to be like Greg Hodge. And that began what God was doing in me to begin set me on a trajectory to be a pastor. So the first point to us is imitate. And I think if we, if we now go through the imperatives, the first one's a little easy. Remember. I think almost all of us would agree if we stopped right there and just remember, you would say, okay, that's fine. I mean, that, that's comfortable. The next one is imitate. A little more difficult, right? But remember, imitate. Now we get to the ones that are a little more challenging and probably why I'm preaching this with, with Jared, <laughs> which is the next two are the hard ones. And they're hard ones, I think, because within us, there's this thing that bubbles up, right? And they are the ones in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, um, but that would be of no advantage to you. So I think here we see explicitly the imperatives to obey and to submit. And I think one thing we need to ponder, and it's appropriate to ponder, is why is this so challenging? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, when I when I reflect on these things, and I have many times, because I think rebellion, it's natural in our heart. And in fact, this is one of the reasons why these words are so challenging. They've become challenging culturally, obey and submit have been. But they're so challenging because, listen, we have a sin nature. And our sin nature's been is to rebel against God and to rebel against authority and to set our place or set ourselves in the place of authority in our lives and really be self-determining. That's what we want. And we saw that in Genesis 3. This is the story of man. Adam said, I don't want to follow God's law. I want to do it my own way because I think I can do it better and reap better blessings. And so the reverse of that, again, I want you to see, the gospel is, is taking our life, right? And we're going to celebrate this in baptism in just a moment. The gospel is taking our life and saying, Jesus, I give up the rights to my life, and I lay it down and I give it to you. And from now on, I'm letting you be Lord of my life. You call the shots, and I'm going to follow you. But it's that rebellious heart in us that makes following authority really, really hard for us. And so we see that pop up. Another reason is because I believe we're fearful. We're fearful because we've seen leadership done poorly. Right? All of us have been hurt by leadership. Many of us have been hurt by church leadership at times. And if you haven't yet, hang around, right? You'll probably get hurt at some point because even your pastors are sinful and need um, the gospel. But we're, we're fearful because we've experienced bad leadership. And here we have to remind ourselves that God's command to us first is to follow Christ, right? And so we look to Christ, and part of what Christ is asking us to do is obey this leadership of the church, and yet we're doing it as obedience to Christ. And in fact, in Hebrews 13.8, there's a great verse. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This means as you obey Christ and obey leadership, whether that leadership is good or bad, your obedience is not lost on Jesus because he sees your heart to follow him. And so we have to work at these things. You know, God was really pressing me at one point in my life about my my willingness to subject myself to authority, right? We all don't like this. Some of us, me and my wife, joke that we have a little bit more rebellious personality that God has had to knock off through the years. But I remember particularly 2001, I was in between jobs, and I started working for prospects at the airport. It's a really glamorous job for 7 bucks an hour, pushing wheelchairs. Some of you that work at the airport are laughing at me now. But I was there. And God was pressing me that I needed to do what my boss asked me to do, right? This goes against my rebellious heart. And so I tried my darndest to follow this middle manager, right, to do everything he asked me to do, not because I wanted to follow that guy, but because God had asked me to be obedient and follow the authorities he's put in my life, right? And so as I did that, God began to sanctify my rebellious heart, And that's what God is asking us to do. Again, coming to Christ is subjecting ourselves to him as Lord. And he's saying, as you do that with the the church leaders that God has raised up, you will become more and more into the image of Christ. And I'd ask at this point, if you are getting baptized this morning, I'd ask you to go ahead and go get changed and um, get ready to do that. All right, also... He talks about in here, we ought, to, we ought to obey and submit, but we ought to do this in a way that brings joy to our leadership. And I just say on a personal note, please hear this verse, right? 
please, please follow us in a way that brings us joy. And I think we can, um, 1317 says this, let, let them do this, right? Let your pastors keep watch over your souls with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. In other words, do this in a way that helps us to lead you with joy um, so that it will benefit you. That you get a blessing when we can lead you with joy. And I, I just want to say, in my years at Risen Life Church, 12 years now I've been here, you guys have been a joy to pastor. I love pastoring you. I'm so excited for the future. You have been a joy. You make our jobs really, really easy, and we're so very thankful for that. You know, other things the New Testament tells us about how to, how to bring joy to your pastor, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, Paul there, he constantly gives thanks for this church in Thessalonica, and he says for three things, for their faith, for their labor in the gospel, and their hope. When we see you living out the gospel in your life, standing firm in faith, having hope about the future in the gospel, working at kingdom things, man, that makes a happy pastor, right? Because you're taking in God's word and you're following him. Philippians 2.2, 2, uh, Paul says this again. He says, listen, you want to bring us joy? Be of the same mind, have the same love, and be of full of cord. I was reflecting on this this week when I saw the revolt results to this senior pastor vote, that we are of the same mind on this, that God is doing something. And I'm so happy it brings joy to my heart that we would be together on where God is taking us. So we've had remember and imitate. We've had submit and obey. And I think the third one that's important for us to remember is verse 18. The writer actually says, pray for us. And I think... This is not a put it at the end, if all else fails. This is the writer of Hebrews, like we see Paul in other letters, earnestly coveting, requesting the prayers of people for him. And I think, you know, as you look at both of these sections, both the ones on leadership and what leaders should take away and what as congregants we should take away, what we have to appreciate is, is that all this is done, both on the leader side and on the <coughs> congregant side, it's done through the power and grace of God. And so the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, like I said, it's not, a, it's not a tacked on to the end. Earnestly pray for the pastors, for the elders, for the CLT, for the leaders in this church, because they really want your prayers. Um, we, we firmly believe um, that God is doing something here, and we want all of us together to keep our eyes on him. That's right. All right, so as we come to a close here, you know, in light of the gospel, Jesus is calling us um, that, that Jesus is greater, right? That he is bigger, that he has saved us, that he is now uh, sitting in heaven interceding for us. And he says, if you believe that, then you ought to follow him with your life. Let your life be a life of worship. And the way we do that here, he's calling us today to follow the leadership that God has raised up. Remember, becoming a Christian is submitting yourself to Christ. It's no longer about what you want to do. It's about what he wants you to do. And so he's calling us this morning, asking us to follow godly leadership. So where is God asking you to follow him in this command today? Right? This is a hard one. Let's respond to him today in prayer and say, God, I hear you. I need to change some things in my heart. I want to submit to this thing because I'm submitting to you. That's what God calls us to do. Now, 
as we move into the time of baptism, this really is celebrating that people are giving their life, they're placing it under the lordship of Christ. And I'm so excited to celebrate this with these folks. And really, I want you to see, baptism symbolizes three things for us. One, it symbolizes that when we accept Jesus as Lord, He has taken our sins, right? He has died for them on the cross, and then He cleanses us of our sins and makes us holy. So this tank is meant to represent the washing of our sins away by the blood of Christ. Secondly, as we've been saying, it's meant to be a picture of obedience, that I would lay down my life and my desires and now pick up the life that Christ is giving to me. I'm done living for Jared. I'm now living for Jesus. That's what we're saying in baptism. And then finally, it is meant to be a picture of the hope of resurrection. You know, Paul in Romans talks about that this, this is meant to symbolize us going into the grave under the waters and then raising to new life as we look forward to the resurrection to life that Christ is going to bring through the power of His Spirit. Now, 1 Peter 3.21 also tells us this, that this act of baptism doesn't save you. Okay? It's not this act that saves us, but rather it's the appeal of our hearts to God for a good conscience. So this is a spiritual thing that should be going on in the hearts of those that are getting baptized. That as they do this, they're saying, Lord... We trust you to be our Savior. Now I want to live for you. Would you do that work in me through the rest of my life?